and for every preacher if they are godly and they love Jesus and this is not just theater up here thanks guys you can great job give them a hand great guys this morning when it's not theater on the platform then the preachers preaching to themselves as well and so every time I've spoken in the duration of my illness I have been strengthened in my inner man by the things that I've been sharing with everybody else and so I pray I will be blessed today by my own preaching, I hope so. Um, but I'm not being uh, silly in saying that because the Word of God is transformative every time we come to it. It's a joy to be with you. I remember last time, it was about six months ago, and actually it was that trip where I was staying with Marty and Margot and I started to feel a bit giddy and my eyes went a bit funny and uh, Margot was running around trying to get my blood pressure checked and on the phone to the doctor and my blood pressure was high and so when I got home I went to the doctors they put me straight into hospital and what they discovered was with the um, immune system uh, dropping after chemo uh, I had no resistance and I picked up a virus uh, called an uh, I forgot what it's called now uh, but uh, a viral infection and it got to my eyes and so I still have that infection they're still dealing with it and I have lost some sight in my right eye and uh, it's a little unusual in my left but I'm still seeing quite a bit but it's not great at the moment and it makes my whole body feel weak and so I go straight back in when I leave here for more treatment I've discovered a whole lot of things I didn't know before like needles in your eye and uh, it actually doesn't hurt believe it or not except one day they forgot the anaesthetic and it did hurt. I thought I was levitating spiritually, but I actually left the bed and screamed like crazy. And, uh, yeah, the doctors apologised and said, well, we thought we'd put it in. But anyway, there you go. Um, you know, if you really want to get sick, go to hospital. And so, oh, no, they said that. And uh, so it's been an interesting journey. I decided maybe I should go vegan, but then I got a little bit worried because... One of Jesus' disciples was vegan, Judas Asparagus, and uh, oh. that's bad, that's bad. Obviously, more than my eyes was affected. But anyway, I said to Jesus, I'm going to keep serving you because uh, I believe you put a message in my heart. And I do submit to you what I'm about to say because you need to judge it because we need to judge prophecy. But I believe God has been speaking to my heart and why... I believe it's him as he's been speaking to other people that I don't know and uh, around the world and they're all feeling the same thing, that the church of Jesus is about to see a reformation. Christianity needs to be reformed. We need a Christianity of the Bible, not a Christianity of the West. And the Western world has got a Christianity that's more churchianity than Christianity and it's not a Christianity of the Bible. But the good news is there's a reformation coming. And last time I was here, I said to you, during the worship, I just felt there was something clean. I felt there was a, just a clean atmosphere, that God was cleaning in a good way the posture that we carry, so we get ready. This morning, as I was praying for you, I felt God say, well, when we get clean, then things get clear. And I want to prophesy over you that there's a clarity coming for generational, and that's the name of your church, generation. City Church, a generational anointing where every generation's needed. Every generation needs to come in, but not to build what we want, but to build what God wants. 
And I believe there are large churches in the world that are not building the biblical pattern because they are providing for churchians what churchians want. And there are smaller churches, and I'm, I'm all over the country. I go to uh, New Zealand in a couple of weeks. I'm all over that country. And it's not the size of a church that God's worried about, uh, bothered about. God wants the health of a church that can bring about a biblical pattern. And I believe clarity is coming for a reformation for the church of Jesus Christ. I can't preach on this this morning, but I've just been going through the book of Acts and I've written down everything in the book of Acts that they did in the book of Acts and what we do today as the Western church. And it's the opposite to what they did in the book of Acts. But we think we're Pentecostal because we speak in tongues. And God is about to bring a shift a huge shift because he wants his church not built on an Ishmael model born out of the flesh, but on a proper Isaac model, that which is born in heaven and initiated by God. And so I believe clarity is coming to this church, not for the next year, but for the next era of this church, for the next era of all the churches that are hungry to serve God. I was walking on the beach before our church at Edge was really started just before we were starting and I was walking on the beach one day and I was praying I said God I don't know what I'm doing I don't know how to lead a church I don't know how to handle the opposition that comes and how am I going to survive and this is what he put in my head he said you know the pureness of your motives or your motive will determine the clearness of your vision and I've tried over many years to stay pure before God in my motive it's not well done good and famous servant it's well done, good and faithful. And as I've tried with my whole heart to stay pure before God, vision has never been a problem. There's been a clarity of vision because of purity of motive. And I believe that God is about to take this church on a journey of clarity. But, you know, we can still choose to embrace what God wants to do or we can choose to still hunger for the old wineskins of the past. I don't believe you're going to do that. I believe you and I are both hungry for a fresh move of God. I'm not into change for change's sake, but I'm into change that God brings, divine change. And so this morning, I just want to speak for a few moments, I hope not too long, about the power of making the right choices. As churches, we've got to make the right choices, but as individual, we've got individuals, we've got to make the right choices. 2.16, we lost our son. I won't go through the story because I went through it last time I was here. 217 bowel surgery, 218 cancer. And you know, all through that journey, I can honestly say without being arrogant this morning, that the choices I made when I first became a Christian kept me going through this season of challenge. See, if we make the right choices ahead of time, those choices can he keep us in good stead. Now, every day we make choices. And you know, some of them are not that great. You know, I make lots of choices that I look back and go, why did I do that? When I was 11 years of age, my dad and I uh, would go and do the gardening for a very rich doctor in Adelaide. We used to ride our bikes on a Saturday morning. I was 11, dad would have been in his mid-20s and we would go to get extra money to do the gardening for this doctor. Very rich doctor and one day he called me into his house, big house, and he says to me, Danny, I, I, uh, I, my wife and I never had children. They were in their 80s now and lived alone, didn't have any relatives alive. And he said, I want to give you something because I've got no kids to leave it to. And he comes out with this big mahogany box. It was a, it really, you could smell the timber. 
And when you opened it, it had a brass microscope in it. And it was brought out on a sailing ship by his father coming out to Australia as one of the major surgeons in our city. And he gave me this microscope made of brass and it was beautiful and I didn't quite know what it was. I did put a few sour sobs under it and a few other little things. And, and then one day I got sick of it and I said to my mate Jerry, uh, Jerry Yanucci, his brother was best man at my wedding. I said, Jerry, uh, what do you think of this thing? He goes, oh, it's pretty interesting. He said, I'll swap you. I said, what with? He said, my marbles. <laughs> so he, I swapped this microscope that would have been around probably in the late 1800s. Today it would probably pay off a mortgage. It could be in a museum somewhere. And I swapped it for this beautiful bag of marbles. I tell you what, they were nice marbles. You know, there was the big silver one and then there was all the coloured ones. I played with my marbles for a while and then one day I thought, I actually think I made a mistake. I think that microscope is worth more than these marbles, as nice as the marbles looked. And so I went back to Jerry. I said, Jerry, do you mind if we swap again? He goes, oh, I got sick of it. I just chucked it out. I still to this day think, how dumb can you be and still breathe? I'm going, what did I do wrong? I went and swapped. Do you know, every day the world is swapping what they think is good for the true treasures of heaven, that they think that I'm not interested in that. That looks too boring to me. I have a friend of mine whose son right now is on married at first sight. Should be married at first fright. But anyway, you know, married at first sight. I am telling you from this platform, and if Channel 9 finds out about it, please let it know that it's coming from me. It's disgusting. It's totally disgusting in the way they manipulate those young people to say things, how the producers get them to do things. I said to my friend, don't talk. Please tell your son not to go on it. People's lives get ruined by something that could make them famous for five minutes. And already the problems have started, and I won't go into it now. Because the world prefers the marbles. They prefer the things that look good, and they, they look shiny, and they look great. And we give up the things of great value that God could have for us to live a, f a life of freedom. Not a good choice. I bought a car once because a friend of mine told me about it. said, it's a bargain, this V8 Commodore, and I like cars, and it was immaculate and fantastic, and I found out later that it actually had been chopped in half, been two separate cars joined together. A little old man in his 80s sold it, so we thought he was a really nice guy getting rid of his car because he wasn't going to drive anymore. He was a front for his son's bad crash repair business. I bought the car. A few days later, it was taken off the road and was never to be put on the road again. Not a good choice. But I made a choice on what looked better, what looked good, what looked like a fair deal, what looked like a bargain. But I never checked it out. I never did my homework and ended up making a bad choice. We make choices every day we can be disappointed with. Some of you would have seen the movie I Am Sam. And, you know, he's a guy who's mentally challenged, trying to fight to keep his daughter and to look after her. And so he's trying to get a job to prove that he's good enough to look after his daughter. And he works in a diner. And people would come in. And they, it's played by Sean Penn, if you've seen the movie. I've never cried so much in all my life, that movie really made me cry and here's this lovely guy who even though he may be mentally challenged he's got all the gifts to be able to look after his daughter and a good attitude and people would come into the diner and no matter what they ordered 
he would say, that's a wonderful choice. That's a wonderful choice. No matter what you ordered, oh, yes, that's a wonderful choice. I wish life could be like that. I wouldn't have chosen to see my son die before me. doesn't seem right for a child to go before the parent, you know, and the pain that I still feel of that every day. Do you know his son's now, eldest son is 18 years old, looks just like his dad. When I talk to him on the phone, I can hear my son's voice. When I look at him, I go, oh, my goodness. And now he started to give me really big hugs. And when my grandson hugs me, it was like my son used to do. And, you know, there's the mixture of joy and pain and all that. I wouldn't have chosen that, but, it, but it's something we've had to endure. I wouldn't have chosen cancer. But have you ever heard someone go through cancer and say it was one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life? And I go, you're crazy. And I want to stand before you today and say going through cancer has brought me to a place in God. I thought I was going good with God, but now I'm in a place where I know a lot less. It's amazing as you get older how you don't need all the answers. I can actually live with saying to you today, I don't have all the answers. The good thing is I don't have to. And I don't have to try to find answers because the answers I do have are so deep that I cannot deny. So you give me the resurrection of Jesus Jesus really being the Son of God. The Word of God has propelled me. It's promised things to me. It's positioned me. It's absolutely protect, protected me. And so I know a few things and they're enough to keep me going through every storm of life. However, as a young Christian, I made some choices. And you know what? You know, I'm, I got married to Sharon in 1974. 45, is it years that? Somewhere around there. She hasn't spoken to me for three years. She didn't want to interrupt me. But anyway, you know, <laughs> I've said that before. Uh, but she's still with me, takes me to the hospital every week, uh, cooks me all the food that I'm allowed to eat. And because I'm on lots of steroids, I'm on so many pills, I'm thinking of starting the gospel. I'm going to start preaching the gospel because there's so many flipping pills that I'm taking every day. I'm surprised I don't rattle when I walk. But she gets all my medications for me. And she looks after me. And all these years of marriage, we've had ups and downs. We've had all kinds of challenges. But the day we chose for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, as God-fearing Christians, I don't wake up every morning and go, do I have to make that choice today? Do I have to make that choice today? Do I choose to still be married to her today? No, I made it back then and I live it today. And if you've been through a broken marriage or whatever, please understand God is a restorer of all things. And I'm not trying to be arrogant because I'm still in my marriage because I understand life dishes up stuff. But choices. I made choices back then as a young man that I don't have to make again. And they've worked all the way through. Can I share some of them with you? Because I actually don't believe they're just for me. They're for all of us. In Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20, today I've given you the choice between life and death between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by, listen to this, you can make this choice by loving the Lord, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. We don't have a Christianity like that. Can I say that? In Australia, the bulk of churchians, the minute they get sick, the minute something, where's God? 
People leave the church because they get hurt by something that somebody said all around the world. I was saying to the guys yesterday, this week God spoke to me very clearly that, you know, all over Australia, a lot of what's called revival is reshuffle. People leave one church and join another one because they got hurt at this one. And then people get together in a church where they've all been hurt somewhere else. And they get together and they have divorce parties. You know, now in Australia, people get divorced, they put on a party. And they celebrate the end of a marriage. Do you know how many churchians are doing that now? They leave churches, they gather somewhere in a home or somewhere. Did they do that to you? Did they do that to you? I mean, it doesn't happen here, but it happens in Adelaide. And, you know, did they do that to you? And they have divorce party nursing their hurts. You know, life's too short to be doing that. And we can make choices as Christians in this day and age that says, I will love the Lord. I will obey his word. Can you imagine if we obeyed the Lord when stuff went wrong in our lives? What kind of things would come out of our lives? Joshua 24, 14 and 15. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, choose today who you will serve. Was it Bob Dylan that used to say, you've got to serve somebody? Because if you don't serve God, you'll serve something. We don't serve ourselves. We serve our hurt. We serve our disappointment. In Ezekiel 37, you know, God takes Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. I've preached on that so many times. But it started with God getting hold of him. He says, and God got hold of me. God took hold of me. You know how many leaders around this country are giving up the ministry because their hurt got hold of them? Their pain got hold of them? Their disappointment got hold of them? But we've got to get back to letting God get hold of us. And I want to tell you, I've made choices that if I do die of cancer or if something else happens, it's not going to make any difference. I said to the guys last night, I've dealt with death. I'm okay with death because we're all going to die and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But because I've dealt with death, the enemy can't scare me anymore and I'm going to keep living. I'm going to live as if we're going to be here forever because there's work to do, but I'm happy to go tomorrow if God wants to call me. And the devil can't have a go at me. Where's your healing? Where's this? Well, I I don't care what you think because on the inside I'm whole. One day I will have a new body and I will be in eternity with God with all my friends and that day's not down here. It's on the other side. It's eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who will ever believe in him shall have temporal life. No, it's eternal life. Yet we want everything down here. Give me this, give me that, heal me now, give me... We're still going because we live on a cursed planet. If it, what, and we don't get taken free from that. Otherwise, the minute you become a Christian, you should stop aging. Wouldn't that be nice? This here, he met me when I had hair and he had hair. Hair today and gone tomorrow. But now, you know... I mean, you know, I'm taking all these steroids. I've got to blame something. And I'm just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm saying to my wife, oh, I got on the scales the other day. They said one at a time, please. So I thought something's not right. (laughs) But we've got to make choices. I better move on. Choose today who you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I'm navigating an 18-year-old grandson who's questioning God over his father's death. And in the midst of that questioning, he's had experiences with God he can't deny and shares them with me and feels the tension of pain and purpose, pain and purpose. But choices we make are very important. So can I give you some of the ones, if you're taking notes, 
I won't spend a long time on all of them, but I will give you one at a time. Number one, I chose years ago to live a surrendered life. A surrendered life. I didn't just accept God's gift of eternal life. I surrendered my temporal life to him, this earthly life to him. I did that by embracing the Bible as the final say in my life in every decision. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be subtracted from you. It's not what my Bible says. Do you know the devil has made the word surrender such a scary word in the church? What do I have to give up? I'm already busy. How many nights do they want me to do stuff? Well, you don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. Some to Jesus, I surrender. No. I surrendered my whole life. It doesn't mean that I'm at the church 24-7, but every decision I make, everything I do, I finally have to make the decision that is Bible-based. And I've tried to live that in my life. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you want. No, no, no. Everything you need. All these things will be added unto you. A surrendered life is an extended life. I look back over my life and I'm talking to non-Christians every day who have got cancer and they are scared spitless and they don't know what's going to happen and I see the peace that I have inside and I see what I carry on the inside which is supernatural and I'm glad I made a choice to surrender to God. I'm glad I chose to live surrendered. A surrendered life is an extended life. It's not subtracted, it's added. In 1983, I made a decision to follow the call of God to Christian leadership. I was made to feel weird by other Christians. Fanatical. Superior. You're superior now because you're a big shot. You're a pastor. Out of touch with reality, they told me. You're never going to have anything. You're never going to be able to make a bit of money and, and travel the world. These were my cousins, who Italian cousins, who have got cement business. You know, they came from Italy. They came, they saw, they concreted. And so, you know, um, they told me, you're stupid becoming a priest. They thought I was becoming a priest. You're stupid becoming a priest and going into all that religion. What kind of life are you going to have? You're going to be tied to the church and the church is going to control you. I look at them now with their cuts in their hands from now in their 70s, still laying cement. Still not leaving the concrete jungle around their house and even going five minutes down the road because they're making money, money, money. I've travelled the world. I've seen lives changed. I've seen transformation. Because seeking God first is a wonderful privilege and it brings blessing back into your life no matter what circumstances bring. Living surrendered has helped me keep my sanity. Living surrendered has given me great joy and peace. Living surrendered to me means to be devoted to God and his word. I gave God my devotion, but I also decided to follow his direction. Devotion has to be tied to direction. If you're devoted something, it affects the direction of your life. And when I devoted myself to Jesus, it wasn't how many nights a week do I have to work? How many hours do I have to work? Because it's not work, it's worship. I surrendered my life to God and my whole life belongs to him and he belongs to me. And whether I sleep, whether I'm well, whether I'm sick, I'm still surrendered. And as I live surrendered, I feel that I'm living extended on the inside because he is with me. We need to trust God when things don't make sense. When you live surrendered, you do that. I trust sovereignty when I have no clarity. 
the number of non-Christians that say to me, and I'm not trying to be arrogant and self-serving this morning because I still feel very weak, but they say, we don't understand how you still do what you do. The doctor said to me this week, it was quite scary, but he said to me, you know, I said, doctor, do you think I'll pull through this? And he goes, we don't know. You're in a serious situation, but you have faith and you believe in God. This is Dr. Etowati, who was my surgeon in 217. And now all this time later, he goes, you have a great belief in God. And I know with you, Danny, this is what he said to me, Marty. He said, I know with you, whether you live or die, it doesn't matter. So he said, now go out and live your life and just go for it. Travel, do what you've got to do. So I got out and go, that's good, but does that mean he thinks I'm going to die? <laughs> I mean, you think straight away, does he think I'm going to die? I think he's just given me the... Go and have a good time because you haven't got long left. So I went into depression for a while in the car. My wife's driving me home and I'm feeling a little bit weary. But let me tell you, it didn't take long and I started to live surrendered again. Number two, I chose years ago to live others-oriented. To never make a decision on what's best for Danny. But always make a decision on what's best for the kingdom of God. I've never made a decision about my future on what's best for me. But what's best for the kingdom? I handed my church over seven years ago now because God said it's time for a new generation to rise up. You need to become a grand pastor and you need to cheer a new generation on. Across your door is Generation Church. Well, if you're Generation Church, we've got to lift every new generation. There's a new army of teenagers. I'm prophesying right now. There's a new army of teenagers that are asking lots of questions. How do you know the Bible is the truth? How do you know that's true? How do we know tongues is really for today? And we should not be afraid of those questions and say these young people, snotty-nosed young people, asking all these questions. We should welcome those questions. And as older generations, we need to give them the answers that are not cliché answers, but they are truth-convictional answers because there's a new army of leaders that God's going to raise up and every generation in this new move of God that's coming is going to be needed. We're going to need the seniors. We're going to need the, the not-so-seniors. And we're going to need all the generations holding hands together for a move of God before Jesus comes back that shows his family and what it really looks like, the church of Jesus. But we've got to be people that live others-oriented. I made a decision years ago that I would be led by God by loving and obeying his word, but then secondly, to live others-oriented. Do you know most of people that suffer with mental illness suffer with a problem called centripetal. And that's when people look within themselves and navel-gaze at their issues. Me, 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 me. I have a youth pastor in Adelaide right now that has just written to his pastor on, on why he doesn't believe in God anymore. And he's not sure that he believes in anything anymore. But he still believes he should stay on staff. I'm not joking... He believes he should still... I showed the letter to pastor, your pastor yesterday. He still believes he should take a salary because it's good to have different thought. I mean, it's nice to, you know, be open-minded, but that open, your brains are going to fall out, honestly. I mean, <laughs> when you're that open-minded. And he thinks it's okay for people's tithes and offerings to pay for his salary. And can I say something this morning, church? The reason why pastors are crippled to deal with that stuff is because of all the families that are going to leave the church if he leaves. So people don't leave because of biblical truth. They leave because they've been offended. Oh, for Jesus, I'm offended. 
And people get offended. And so pastors are crippled because they go, how many more people do we have to lose? And so what happens is when we become centripetal, the whole letter with this guy is about him. Me, 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 me. And when we're not others-oriented, we start on a journey that could be, lead to mental illness. And it's amazing how many people, even in Adelaide, in the church at Edge, and it's not all like this because there are conditions, and I understand that, that are beyond our decisions. But, you know, the number of people that have suffered with depression, at least at a low level, uh, that started serving others, reaching out to others, and the cloud over their lives has lifted off. And I want to tell you, friends, we can't live as Christians what's best for me. We live surrendered. And then we live extended by being others-oriented. And I've done that as best as I can. One of the reasons I'm still travelling is not because I want to stop myself from dying. Do you know how many people say to me, oh, we know what you're doing. You keep them busy so that you don't have to deal with your mortality. No, I'm not. I'm doing what I'm doing because I was always doing what I'm doing. And I'm going to keep serving Jesus the way I always have until he takes me home because my calling is to serve others but I want to tell you, in doing that, I get strengthened spiritually. My hope rises. And, you know, many years ago, I made a decision to always make the decision that's best for the kingdom and God would look after me. By living others-oriented, I've experienced a clean conscience. I've experienced inner peace. I've experienced a sense of fulfillment. I've experienced a sense of assignment. I don't get up in the morning... You know, and think, you know, oh, I'm a waste of space on the planet. I have a sense of assignment. I have a sense of purpose, a sense of divine favor, even in my loss of Chris, even in our cancer journey, even in a broken son, living others oriented. So I'm now counseling pastors around this country whose sons and daughters are on ice. One of them tried to kill his mother. And when, because of what we went through with our son, they're ringing up and saying, you understand our pain, can we talk? I made a decision years ago when I said I was going to be others-oriented that I would use the tears that I cry to be a river of refreshing for others after me. If the devil's going to throw the book at me, I'll make him pay for it. And I want to tell you, I've never felt stronger spiritually in all my life while my body is sort of not doing real good. Number three, I chose years ago to live strategically. Now, you need to hear what I mean by that. Strategically is to take everything that happens to us and not waste it. And so living strategically means to deal with my disappointments, to deal with my discouragement, and to deal with my sense of wanting to be detached from things. I do, I do feel that I made a choice years ago that if, day, sorry, if Joseph, God gave me this years ago as a young man, if Joseph can be in a prison where every part of a dream doesn't seem to get better, it seems to get worse, and he ends up in a prison. And he's in that prison, and a guy has a dream, and Joseph, in the midst of nothing coming to pass in his mind of what he thought was going to happen, the guy tells Joseph a dream, and Joseph goes, don't tell me your dream, mate. I had a dream once. Look where it ended me. No, he didn't do that. He said, tell me your dream. For God alone interprets dreams. And you know what God said to me? He said, Danny, there's going to be times in your life when you're going to interpret the dreams of others when you don't understand what's going on in your own life. Wow. I used to sit in my office and give people marriage counselling and Sharon and I just had the biggest fight ever. <laughs> and you think, we've just been fighting at home. 
I've been going off and when I get really angry, I swear in Christian swear words, but in Italian. So my wife doesn't know what I'm saying. And mostly my fighting with Sharon used to be me doing all the talking. And she just listened and then she'd say, finished? And that sarcasm, man, that used to get me going. Shampoo bottles go flying around the room and I'd get really angry and we were in a singing group. And then off we would go to church. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Go home and have another fight. But, you know, I was interpreting other people's dreams when I couldn't interpret my own simply because I did genuinely love Jesus. And over time, we're in our 60s now, and Sharon and I are better than ever through so much pain. And it's not through doing stuff together. It's just sitting there, sometimes looking at each other and the tears flow. I watch the news, and I hear about someone killed in a car accident, and they're the son of somebody. 35 years of age, children at home, and it just flows. I look at her, she's crying, and then I'm hungry. <laughs> Is there some salami in the fridge? <laughs> and we eat, we laugh, and we cry. But you know what? Right now, my home <laughs> is often filled with non-Christians. A lot of my Italian relatives that from a distance thought I was only in it for the money. Now wanting to have dinner together, wanting to have cousins nights. And we gather it. You know, once you've gone through pain like that, you realise what you don't need. I don't need a new car every three years. I don't need a bigger house that no one's going to ever come and visit. I don't need new furniture people are never going to sit on because we'll never invite them because I'll mess it up. I don't need a whole lot of stuff. Because when you live others-oriented and you don't waste your pain because you're living strategically, it's amazing what God can do with that choice. It's a good choice. I'm glad I made it. Very quickly, next one. Is it number four? Choose a lifestyle of forgiveness. Choose a lifestyle of forgiveness. As a young man, 27 years of age, man, I had an Italian temper. You know, I had the fivefold. I wanted to punch everybody out every time they upset me. And I remember one day, God, in my devotions, I was reading, I was reading uh, Luke chapter 17. Listen to this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptation to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as a young man, God said to me, little ones aren't new Christians. Anybody sitting next to you this morning could be a little one in our journey of faith. We could all be going through seasons of doubt and seasons of fear and people are little in their faith at that moment and we are an example to everybody around us. And then, uh, you know, it says this, um, watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive, as if that would happen in the church today. Even if that person wrongs you and seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. And the apostle said to the Lord, show us faith. Remember Jesus said, if you say to this mountain to be moved, it will be cast in the sea. It's got nothing to do with miracles. We misquote that scripture. Because that scripture appears in most of the Gospels every time bar one in the context of forgiveness. 
one of the greatest mountains ever is the mountain of forgiveness. And he says, they said, teach us faith. And Jesus said, if you've got the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, which mountain? The mountain we're talking about, forgiveness. You can say to this mountain. And I remember I was just a young guy and I used to hang on to things and I wanted revenge. And I do blame it on my Italian heritage, but that's not fair on my Italian. It's just me being a sinful man. And God said this to me. Let me tell you how simple it was. He said, Danny... He said that because that's my name. So he, called, he didn't call me Jimmy because my name's Danny. So he said, Danny, he said, sorry, that's not even funny. Um, <laughs> he said, your actions will hurt other people. However, your reactions will hurt you. Do you know how many mental hospitals today are full of people that couldn't forgive? And they're full of the people that are still angry at others that have died. Others that have moved on and we're still angry at them because our reaction hurts us. That's why we've got to forgive. Our actions hurt others. And God spoke to me. He said, Danny, live a life where make sure as best as you can that your actions will help people not hurt them. But then when people hurt you, make sure your reactions of forgiveness will be there. Now, I know this is recorded and it might get out there on YouTube. So I'm trying to use wisdom with my illustrations. My wife warns me all the time, some days someone's going to sue you. I said, okay, all right, I'll try to be careful. <laughs> no, not really, because I'm very open. But over the years, we've had people hurt us in church world. It happens to everybody. And some people have moved on from the world that we were in and said things about us that weren't true. And there's a part of me that wants to jump up and shout and say, that's not true. And I remember God bringing me back to this. He goes, your actions will hurt other people, but your reactions will affect you. And so I had to learn a lifestyle of forgiveness. But now 30 years later, whether they feel sorry for me because I've been on a cancer journey and lost the son, I don't know. I can't judge that. There's been knock on the door after knock on the door at our house of people coming, some who used to be on my staff, Say, Pastor Danny, we've come to repent. We've come to say sorry. Because what we did to you back there was our own brokenness. And because of our own brokenness, we gave the blame game on you. Now our own kids have grown up, not wanting to go to church. Because when we bring division to God's body, we bring division to our own body. And so what happens is now you've got kids that don't believe in God, they don't, they're living together with their partners and the parents are heartbroken and realise we gossiped in our home. We had roast pasta for lunch every Sunday. We roasted our pastors. Kids go, well, stuff that if that's the church. And now all these years later, knocking on our door, sorry. There's nothing in me that makes me feel about time. Nothing. It broke my heart. I threw my arms around them and I said, it's okay. If God has showed you what he showed you, Come in, and like all good Italians, let's have a plate of pasta. <laughs> I had two Italian families in my home, and I'm doing mediation. And they are using the F-bomb, and they're swearing at each other. And the son-in-law's about to punch the father-in-law, you know. And uh, they are going for it. The son-in-law's Australian. Everybody else is Italian. It's all over money. And they're having this big fight. They're not Christians. And they, someone dobbed me in to be the mediator. And my wife is standing behind the kitchen going, what's going to happen now? Who's going to punch who? And I said to her, make some ravioli. (laughs) 
She made ravioli. They quietened down real quick. Sat down around the table. We had ravioli and the meat and the sauce and the salad. And we're sitting there. I thought, we're going to win this one. As soon as the food was finished, they started again. <laughs> but we had a couple of hours peace. But you see, you've got to live strategically. You've got to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. And right now, I'm having dinner. I've already had two dinners with people that caused us a lot of pain, but there's been a total restoration, and one of them's come back to the church. While I'm not there now, there's a new pastor, and we are having wonderful connection again, and it's like God's restoring all the years that the enemy tried to destroy. Why? Because it's a wonderful choice to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. It's a wonderful choice to live strategically. It's a wonderful choice to live surrendered. Oh, my goodness, it's a wonderful choice to live others-oriented. Very quickly, the next one, choose humility. I ask God in prayer, God, what's the greatest doorway into a move of God? What's the greatest way for you to touch your church like never before? Remember in Mark chapter 6, Jesus couldn't do miracles, the Son of God, in his own town because of their unbelief. And the unbelief goes, he's just a guy down the road. We know him. We know his brother. We know his sisters. They were amazed at his miracles. And then when they saw who he was from the local community, they got offended. I mean, how can you switch between those two? And yet it happened. And I said to God, God, what's the greatest key? He said, humility. You know, Jesus humbled himself to leave heaven to come and love us. We think the greatest key is love. No, no, you can't love without humility. Otherwise, it's an act. You can act loving and not really be loving unless it flows from humility. In 1 Peter 5, 6, So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in his good time he will honour you. You know what's happening? All over Australia people want to be honoured in their bad time. They choose a time. You've got to honour me. Pastors demanding honour around this country and they think that's just a salary rise and you know, most pastors don't get paid enough in smaller churches, and that's just a fact, but they don't do it for that. They don't, certainly don't do it for that. But, you know, God will exalt people when we don't want to be exalted. We're just happy to serve. And God knows how to honour what he's put on our lives if we humble ourselves and then in his good time. Today, we don't want to wait for his good time. Pick me, pick me, pick me. How can you be a youth pastor in a Pentecostal church? And say you don't believe in God and still want to take a salary. It just makes my head spin that you would go to bed at night and not feel convicted about that. I thought, whatever happened in the first place? Because we have altar calls that don't alter people's calls. They come to an understanding that God is real, but they don't have a conversion. Because if a conversion takes place, you won't even talk like that. Because there's the uh-uh of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And when we start to say things that don't match what God wants us to say, we can say it for a day, we can say it for two, but then there's a, uh-uh. Holy Spirit's convicting us. Where there's no conviction, friends, there's no conversion. And we call grace sometimes a license to see whatever we want to see done. That's not God. Next one, choose teachability. I made these choices as a young man. I will be teachable. And you know what? I'll listen to everybody. I won't put anybody off. A little Down syndrome boy one day came up and prophesied over me. And my first reaction back in my youth days was, well, I don't know if he can really hear the voice of God. And God rebuked me and said, how dare you 
think that you know only certain people can speak. You can listen to what he says, and if it doesn't line up with the Bible, you leave it alone. But listen, because it might line up. And that little boy gave me a word for my life that was the answer to a prayer I'd been praying. And I realized we can listen to people address us. We've got to be teachable. But then we've also got to be strong enough to say, that's not biblical. That doesn't line up with the Bible. That I'm not sure of. I'll put it on the shelf. But I want to keep a posture of teachability so that I don't become hard in life and then become choosing on who speaks into my life while we still need wisdom. And I haven't got time to go into that. In Nehemiah chapter 6, people attacked Nehemiah and said, you're doing what you're doing, Sam Ballant and Tobiah, because you want to build your own kingdom. And, you want to, and he wrote a letter back. He only answered once. He didn't answer all the time. And he said, what you are doing is not right. It's not true. You're doing this because you're motivated by wrong motives. And I'm letting you know you're not telling the truth. But now I'm going to get on with the job. I'm going to keep serving what God told me to do. I'm going to keep building the wall. And I'm not going to come down. I've got a greater calling to fulfill. The balance of a proper response and then a continuing to build. And I want to tell you, I've been called the fourth member of the Trinity and people think I'm awesome. But I've also been called a satanic fourth. I think I can't be that good and that bad. Sometimes I was called that in the same week. You think, how can I be a devil on Monday and a saint on Friday? I just don't think I'm that smart. And you see, sometimes we allow stuff to get to us. But number seven, very quickly... I've chose to be a self-leader. There are two Dannys. There's the spirit Danny and there's the flesh Danny. And the flesh Danny speaks a lot. But I have to be the counsellor between the two. The Holy Spirit in me has to be the counsellor. So I now have discovered I don't have to pay $120 an hour. I don't have to go and sit in a room of someone that doesn't know my story but thinks they do because they did three years of certificate four. And I'm not against that stuff. We've got Christian counsellors in Adelaide that are living immoral lives, separated from their wives, walked out on their kids and they're giving marriage counselling. Really? Honestly? There's a Holy Spirit that if we're Christians can live inside of us and we can become a self-counsellor. And so many times inside of me, Danny, stop it, don't do that. Now we need other people as well. But I want to tell you, being a self-counselor is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the counselor, the mighty counselor. And I chose that years ago. And even flying here, coming here over the last uh, 24 hours, I've prepared well. My writing's really big because my eyes don't work. And I'm on the aeroplane and God's dropping things in my heart for you. Why? Because he's my divine counsellor. I don't want to become a professional theatre actor. I don't want to stand on a stage and, and, and preach sermons that I grabbed off the internet. I want to be able to hear from God himself to the best of my ability. And I want to transfer that across so we can live righteously for God and build the house of God. I'm nearly done. This next one, I made this decision. Friends, it's really helped me. Choose purpose over prosperity. Don't chase money. Prosperity is guaranteed when you do the will of God. And prosperity has to be defined. Because right now, I don't need $3 million. Prosperity for Danny would be a healing right now. That would be great prosperity for me. My eyes not to go blind. You know, and prosperity means different things to different people at different times. But I don't chase prosperity. Do you know, I don't beg God to heal me. He's my dad. Can you imagine a kid, dad, please, dad, please, dad, please heal me. You haven't got enough faith. You haven't got enough faith. Stretch your faith. Really? Because we misquote scripture as charismatics. We really do. And I want to tell you, he's my dad. 
and I trust him with everything. And I said to God when I got cancer, I said, God, I don't want to die. I want to live. I'm going to believe that you're going to give me life, whichever way it comes, over a long time through hospital treatment or whether it's instant. But over everything, I'm going to trust you. I want the musicians to come, thanks. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I feel like I've never had more faith than I've got now, irrespective of what's happening in my body, because I've never chosen prosperity and I've never chased it. I've chosen purpose over prosperity. Here we go. There's 10 of them, so there's two more. They're not very, they're not very deep stuff, but you know what? This is deep if we do it. If we do it. The last two, number nine, choose to be a good friend. Flippin' Nora, that's not a big deal, or is it? Do you know how many lonely Christians are out there? Park their blessed assurance on a seat on Sunday and walk out the door feeling more lonely than when they came. And I want to tell you, friends, I chose a long time ago that my giving of my friendship is not going to be based on whether it's reciprocated. Do you know how many pastors have been my friend until, while I could give them what they wanted? Do you know when I got cancer, how many of them flicked me? They'd already written me off. Stopped ringing. Stopped asking for help. Part, some of them I know because they cared for me, but you could let me know you care for me. But there was a total walking away. And then down the track, I get phone calls. Last week, sorry, man, should have called you. We just get, so get caught up with stuff, you know. I've heard again that you're not well and really should have come down. And I go, no, no, don't worry, don't apologise. Because I've chosen not to chase people to befriend me. I've chosen to be a good friend. I'll always be reliable. I'll always be there whether you walk out on me or not. I'm grateful for 30 years of friendship with your pastors here today. But it's not a manipulation. It's not a control. It's the fluidity of friendship. That's biblical. And we need that back in the church. If we all as Christians decide, whoever hurts me, I'll still love them. I am going to be a good friend. And last of all, I want to be a blessing in old age. You know, I wake up grumpy every morning. I give her breakfast and then I go to work. Oh, no, who said that? Oh, I can say that because she's not here. <laughs> That's recorded. Oh, please, don't give that to Sharon. I want to be happy in my old age. I want my grandkids. And do you know how many young people in the ministry don't have spiritual dads? And they don't have spiritual granddads. And they come and sit with me and I mentor them by telling them the worst dad jokes you could ever hear. Let's have a meal together. Let me tell you the latest joke. Let's have a good laugh. And they love you because they feel like, you know, I still try to wear a few trendy clothes. You know, I'm trying, I probably have to go to slip-ons now because when I bend over to do my shoelaces up, I think, what else can I do while I'm down here? Because I'm not coming back today. <laughs> This is too hard work to come back from down there. I mean, I got, into a rocking, I got into a rocking chair the other day. I couldn't get it to go. My wife gave me an apple. I sunk my teeth into it and they're still there. You know, so... You know, I spend more time cutting the hair in my nose and my ears than the three or four that I got on my head that I shave so I pretend I'm doing this on purpose. But I'm going to be a good guy in old age if I can. So generations can be encouraged by the fathers and grandfathers. That's a choice. That's a choice. 
And so in closing today, live surrendered. Let's live others-oriented. Let's live strategically. Let's have a lifestyle of forgiveness. You know, this is a bread and butter message today. This is not in the original Greek stuff. This is not like in the original Greek. Be others-oriented means be others-oriented. Sometimes we're looking for the deep. But this is not deep, but it's a sustenance life that we can live. Leave a lifestyle of forgiveness, humility, teachability. Be a self-leader. Choose purpose over prosperity. Be a friend. Whether people treat you well or not, be a friend. And be a blessing in old age. They are 10 choices I made at 25, 26, somewhere there in my young 20s. I don't regret any of those. I regret the microscope. I regret the split car. I regret a whole lot of other things. I regret losing my temper with my children when they were little. I regret that. There's times I've knelt before my kids and cried my eyes out and go, I'm so sorry. I used to say, I won't do what my mum and dad did to me because that was their culture and I did exactly the same. But guess what? I spoke last night to the men as I walked off the platform. There's a text from my son. He's in England at the moment. Hey, Pop, I love you. Praying for you right now. I'm a millionaire. If my 40-year-old son, who when he was 11, I disciplined him too much because he was being naughty. I regret that choice. I could stand here today and tell you as a human being, I've made a lot of mistakes. But these ones here, these choices today, I'll never regret. And I go back to them now. And I'm starting again. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, Lord Jesus, you've got me. I will follow you. No matter what people do to me, what people in church or out of church do to me, I hate what the media does. And the media has been so cruel about our family. And about four weeks ago, they did a story. Uh, you guys were involved, had some capacity from the past in the ACC. I was in, mentioned on, on the project. All lies. None of it true. But now that I'm 63, I don't want to punch their head in. Sometimes I do, but, you know, it's a few minutes. I lay on the bed and I go, I don't care. I don't need anything. James, I close with this. James, that's my third closure, but I close with this. James, I have three-point closures. James chapter 1 has been the greatest scripture that God's given me during my cancer journey. It's an amazing journey because it says, Brothers and sisters, when trials of any kind come your way, count it all joy because the trial of your faith and the trial that you're going through will cause your endurance to grow and when your endurance is fully grown you'll have need of nothing you know when people used to scratch my car in the car park I wanted to hit them I wanted to find out who it was I wanted to react when people don't pick up the dog poo off my fake lawn at the front of my house 
and it stains my fake grass. I want to find that person that didn't pick that stuff up. And then you get cancer. You don't know how long you're going to live. And somehow the poo-poo on the grass doesn't matter anymore. I still get angry, but I mean, you know, it doesn't last as long. I might not even be able to drive soon, let alone get a scratch on my car. I don't need the latest lounge suite. I don't need a two, three-storey apartment for everybody to come and have a look at. I'm happy. I've never been happier and restful on the inside because I have need of nothing. In closing, ladies and gentlemen, is that the fourth closure? <laughs> I want to say to you this morning, I don't know what I'm going to say to you this morning. My mind just went blank. You write down those choices. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you live them out. And you'll get to a point where you go, I don't need anything. Love me, hate me, do whatever. I'm just going to do these things. And life is a beautiful. Everything is beautiful. Father, this morning, I thank you for this amazing family. I've been in love with the people in this house for so long. I just thank you. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for all those that have stayed. I want to thank you for those that have been through every season of this house faithful. Some 15 years, some 20, some five. But Lord, as I felt last time, that sense of clean, I do believe there's a new era of clear coming, of clear direction for the house. But let it come to a house that lives the right choices. Father, today, I think I can pray this on behalf of everybody here. We choose today. We choose today. You don't tell us to wait until you make us feel good about doing the choice. We just choose whether it feels good or not. We choose. And on behalf of Generation Church today, I think I can say, Lord, we choose. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. If you're here today and you're not a... Thank you. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. If you're here today and you're not a person of faith, I'd love to talk to you after the meeting. Because, you know, religion isn't faith. Religion is a whole set of rituals and beliefs that don't really change the way we live. But I want to tell you, a walk of faith with the true God who puts these wonderful qualities in our lives by the help of the Holy Spirit that He sends, I tell you what, doesn't just make heaven great for us, but it does help us down here on earth. Let's not allow the pain of the past to speak louder than the promises of our future. Amen. God bless you.